I mean, it's not about taming the dog. Like, you hear this parable, right? Every man has two wolves inside him, and the one that you feed is the one that gets stronger. And it, like, it, no! Stop having two wolves. Stop being double-minded. Go ahead and kill one of those wolves. You're a man of strong passion, a warrior of great courage, designed and created to conquer, to crush it in singleness and marriage, to master fatherhood, finance, and health. You were made to reign in life. Thank you for joining me for the Made to Reign podcast brought to you by MadeToReign.org. I am your host, Ray Delanues. We want to empower and encourage men like you on your masculine journey so that you would come to know the man that God has called you to be. We do this through our YouTube channel, through social media, through our blog, and through this podcast. In fact, this is the podcast for young men who want to get raw and grow in their faith. And we get pretty darn raw on this episode. But before we do get into this week's episode, I want to share with you the podcast review of the week. This week's podcast review is coming from Isaiah Roebuck. He left us a five-star rating. It is titled, Great podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. It says, I've been looking for a great podcast, specifically talking about the subject of faith based on manhood and ownership. Definitely going to subscribe and looking forward to future episodes. Isaiah, thank you so much for taking the time to leave us that podcast review. Guys, if you are taking the time, all you have to do is send me an email address with a screenshot of the review that you left in the email address that's down below, and I'm going to bless you with a Starbucks gift card. That easy, guys. For you guys that are returning listeners to the podcast, you'll notice something that's a little bit different about it, and that's that I cut straight to the point. Now, what I'm doing is I'm going to go ahead and split up the introduction, put it as a bonus episode here, but I want the guys that need to hear this, the guys that I'm sensing that are going to be impacted by this podcast, I want to cut straight to the point. I want to jump you right into the middle of the conversation and deliver all of the value that I can. Today, I want to have a conversation about a topic that is just not talked about often in the church. I want to ask you, have you ever struggled with sexual lust or pornography? Because I know I did. And maybe you've even tried, like me, to walk away from it and change your habits. But no matter what you did, it was like you were stuck in this repetitive cycle just over and over and over again. You would want to clean it up and then you would mess it up and clean it up and mess it up. Now, stay with me, guys. And then you felt the overwhelming shame of messing up and the frustration of wanting to do good, but just not being able to control this thing. And this couldn't have been a better podcast guest to talk about this with. Now, our next guest is a speaker, a content creator behind multiple podcasts and YouTube channels. He is the face behind that Christian blogger, which he has recently repurposed to the podcast called I'm Listening. He's a husband, a faithful man of God, and my awesome guest. Gentlemen, his name is Justin Koo. Let's talk about temptation. Let's talk about sin. Let's talk about what it looks like to be a young man trying to navigate this experience of the world, the experience of wanting to do good, wanting to be faithful, but still experiencing temptation and wanting to be good, godly men that are in the faith, but we're looking at ourselves in the mirror and thinking, but if only I just didn't have this temptation, that would keep me on the good guy side. I would finally be a good guy. And this is a conversation I want to have with you because it's uncomfortable. Where in the church do we sit down and say, hey, you, 
who was struggling with pornography yesterday. Let's talk about it because that's not who God has called you to be, right? If at best what we have is condemning accountability groups that say, "Hey brother, you better stop sinning because that's not what the Lord wants for your life." Lead us through this, man. Yeah, so it's it's interesting cuz my relationship to this this whole idea of temptation and sin has shifted in the last year and a half or so. And I think a lot of it has to deal with Um, How do I identify my value or my worth? A lot of times we talk about, oh, you know, I'm such a a miserable sinner. I've done all these things. I'm not worthy of God, yada, 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 yada. And the converse to that is, well, if I didn't live in this way, and if I had victory over these sins, and if I treated my spouse in this way, manner, then my value or my worth would then shift and I would no longer feel condemned because I'm now living the way that God wants me to live. Therefore, my value has increased. With respect to people who have this view, because I know what it's like to be there, I actually don't think that that's the truth. I think that there's a very subtle and deceptive lie in the middle of that that actually keeps you trapped and actually is in many respects the thing that keeps you ingrained in this cyclical habit of sin. If I can rewind a little bit and talk about uh, a story that I heard, which I have no reason to believe that it's untrue. Uh, I think I checked out on it with Snopes <laughs> a while back, yeah. but it's a story about Rocky. Okay. Uh, uh, or Sylvester Stallone before Rocky, I should say. As the story has been told, and if it's not true, there's a lesson here, so listen anyways. The story is told that before he was famous, he was actually struggling quite a bit. Broken relationships, he was very poor, basically had nothing to his name, had no no reason that anyone would ever look at him and admire him per se. The story is told that he had a dog and that times were so tough that he was oftentimes seen outside of a particular store trying to beg for food or money or something along those lines. And times got so rough that he was had to resort to at one point selling his dog so that he could eat. And obviously like terrible thing. You would never want to do that, but it was a situation that he was in. Well, shortly after that, Uh, He pitches Rocky uh, and ends up with a a decent downside, you know, down payment on this film. And for the first time in considerable amount of time, he has money. So he goes back to that place that he was seen panhandling where he actually sold his dog for like, I think it was like 50 bucks or something along those lines and uh, spent several days standing outside of this, uh, this convenience store, I think is how it was told, looking for this guy that he sold the dog to. And eventually he finds this guy. And he's trying to buy his dog back. Now, he sold the dog for 50 bucks. So he's like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks for the dog. And the guy's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep the dog. So Rocky or Sylvester Stallone's like, okay, what if I gave you 100 bucks? No, I'm good. What if I gave you 500 bucks? No, I'm good. And like the price continues to go up in this dramatic fashion. And I think at the end of the day, he ends up paying like several thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars for this dog to get back. And the question is, is how much is the dog worth? Was the dog worth $50 or was the dog worth, let's say, $10,000? Well, that's the crazy thing about worth. That's the crazy thing about value is that it's entirely subjective. It's impossible to say what something is worth in the absence of someone who's willing to pay for that thing. What something is worth depends on the market. What something is worth depends on the buyer. And this is the crazy thing about the times that we live in. Stock prices are going up and down because people aren't sure if they want to invest money in a particular product or thing anymore. And so when I think about 
how that applies to my value or my worth as a human being. The world tells you that your value or your worth is dependent upon a multitude of different factors on how smart you are, how charismatic you are, how good looking you are, where did you go to college, what kind of job do you have, what car do you drive, how attractive is your spouse, how much money do you have in the bank, and how many followers do you have on social media. And we know that this is how the world determines value because the more I get of any of these things, the better I feel about myself, the more positively I will be, uh, uh, I will look in the mirror and, and, and estimate myself. It's like, man, I had a really good day. I sold X number of dollars worth of business or fill in the blank. And what I do poorly on those metrics, well, then I'm not worth the time as much. And we make these subconscious judgments all the time. And this is why when a homeless person approaches us, we're less inclined to give them the time or the respect or the, even just the emotional energy when it comes to, say, an attractive person of the opposite sex comes up and, and approaches us. Because our value, the way that we estimate value in other people as well as ourselves is based on a bunch of external factors. But this is the beauty of what the gospel does, is it actually reveals that none of that matters, that all of your righteousness or all the things that you put your identity into are worth nothing. But it doesn't mean that you are worth nothing. In fact, the thing that God does to determine our value is to literally put our price up against his own life. And so when I see myself in that way, I actually have clarity as far as my value and my worth. And my value is this. I am worth the very life of God. And if you want to disagree with me, you would actually have to disagree with God because God's the one who put the price on me. And so you'd have to literally tell the omniscient God of the universe that you are wrong. And so you have this, you have this binary moment. Do I agree with what he says? Or do I not? Do I prefer what I define for my own value and worth? Or do I accept what he says about me? And so when I have this clarity on this, it changes how I see myself in the mirror. And here's the crazy truth about the gospel is that no amount of right doing or wrongdoing shifts the way that God views you or values you. No amount of pornography addiction changes the way that God sees you. You are not less his child if you have an addiction to pornography. You are no less his child if you cheated on your spouse. You are no less his child if you've never paid tithe. You're no less someone that he values and cares about if you've never gone to church, read a Bible, or prayed. Your value is fixed in his mind. Your value actually has nothing to do with you and everything to do with how he sees you. And the flip side of that is true. No good works makes you more valuable. And so this is what's crazy about it is that's generally speaking, not the narrative or the reality that we live in. Generally speaking, we believe the lie of the world, which says that my value is determined by my works, that my value is determined by my bank account or fill in the blank. Because of that, we live in this perpetual cycle of shame, of condemnation, of guilt. And none of those things ever come from God. Shame, guilt, condemnation, they're not of God. So much to the extent that, that Paul says it this way, that for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. So there's a difference between condemnation and there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Uh, God absolutely convicts us, but he, he convicts those who he loves. The Lord rebukes and chastens those whom he loves is what the scripture says. So you can have this feeling of conviction, but your inclination to interpret it as con uh, condemnation is just wrong. God does not condemn you. Like the cross shows us that. 
that he doesn't condemn you. That's because your value in his eyes is not determined by what you do or don't do. Your value is fixed. Your value is fixed with the very life of Jesus himself. Couldn't have said it better, man. That's exactly it because I've heard it said before, we sell out cheap when we were bought at such a high price, right? Again, when we sell out to these ideas that if you really were to look at it um, and maybe speak to your child, consider maybe you having a small child, you would not impose the same amount of pressures from the world or the same amount of lies or the same amount of um, just weight, right? In Hebrews, it says that we that we are supposed to take off this, the leave behind the sin and the weight, right? So we would never apply that to a child. We would say that that is, um, it's wrong and it's not healthy and it's not productive to the growth of a child or the development of a child, but yet we do it to ourselves. We sell out so cheap to these ideas, like you're saying from the world, um, that lead to shame, guilt, and condemnation. You said your value is fixed and that no good works can make you uh, more valuable. I think maybe the hard part is remembering that moment by moment by moment, because I can walk away from a Sunday service and be like, that was really good. And that was impactful. Like that was, that sounded like the truth, but then getting it from here, your brain and having that 18 inch journey into your heart, that's something completely different. So, I mean, can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, like I used to think like, oh, I got to really force myself to believe this. I got to like it's like this work, like even that faith was this work that I would do that. I had like, what, what does it mean to believe it? And and if I had to put a face to faith, it would look like this, like uh, I'm gritting my teeth, clenching my fist, white knuckles. My teeth are grit. I'm like, oh, I want to right. believe. Right. No, faith's not a work. Like, it's not something that you do. Don't put so much faith in your own faith. Like <laughs> That's good. Right? It, it's, it's not this thing that you're like, oh, so how do I believe it? Well, I'm going to repeat this verse as a mantra a hundred times every morning. Like, no, like that's not how, how it works. What I found that has helped me like solidify this thing is literally inviting God to reveal it to me. Yeah. Like it, it sounds so simplistic and maybe it is simplistic. But it is the thing that has made the difference in my life is just allowing God through the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to me. When I do that, I see the truth as it is in him. And I start to learn. He starts to, he starts to disciple me and grow me uh, in this way. And so like when I have a revelation of who I am and when I have a revelation of my value and worth, because there's a difference between me just saying you're, you're valuable, you're worthy, God yeah. loves you. Yeah. Like you can hear those words. Like I heard those words a million times growing up and it wasn't until I had uh, like God really just, how do I, how do I put words to this? There was something that happened that was different from the million times I heard it before than the time that I actually received those words for myself. Right. And I actually ended up believing it. And now that simple transaction of faith, that was all 100% of what he did for me has changed everything. I mean, you say simple and and I know what you mean. I, I guess I'm just trying to maybe make it a little bit more practical for the listeners because here's what I'm picturing. As you did that face of faith, you know, you're struggling, you're gritting your teeth. That was awesome. But because we're called to do this naturally, because we were bought at a high price, because we are now in Christ seated in heavenly places, it looks more like an orange that just is. And what you don't see is an orange tree going like, 
I'm going to produce this and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so orange. It's like, no, it just, it's natural. It's graceful. And it just happens. You don't hear the trees in the forest screaming with this painful agony of just becoming and doing this thing, producing this fruit that they're called to produce. And it's the same way we're called to produce fruit through the Holy Spirit. And it comes so naturally that it's like watching an apple grow. It just happens. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I've heard also um, kind of relate to this and, and maybe I, before I say it, I want to get more practical, um, maybe put a picture to it. Let's say that, uh, you know, I'm a young man that's dealing with uh, temptations in the sense of, um, I mean, we could say pornography, but we can just say lust in general, right? And sure. this is where I was. I was here, man. Oh, I lived in Southern California too. Um, I loved it. But as soon as I became aware of my sin, right? So like I literally was just growing in anxiety and agony because I wanted to do good. I can't explain it any better than that. It was agony. I wanted to do good. But anytime I went into the gym, I looked, I saw every single woman that was wearing too short of shorts or too low shirt where like, otherwise, if I was just in the world sinning, I wouldn't even have paid attention to those women. But now that I know the thing that I want to do right, I now know the thing that I'm doing wrong. For and sure. then, so I stopped. I'm like, I don't even want to go to the gym. I literally lived where I, uh, on base in Southern California. We have a Marine Corps base there. I lived on the ocean. I, I can oh, I open my window and I would see the ocean. So I would be at the beach all the time, ruin the beach for me and my wife. Then I couldn't even go to Walmart, Justin. I literally <laughs> like everywhere that I no, went, I, I was it. like the, the, the checkout section was enough. Like that was, yeah, no, I get it. I, I've, I've been there. I, like, I think what you're describing and I appreciate you like leading with vulnerability when it comes to that, uh, vulnerability is, is another word for courage in my opinion. So I appreciate the, the courage that you just led with there, but like what you're describing is so common, uh, to, to, to so many men and women all around the world. Like, I think that we, like we're tracking with you. Like we we're there yeah. with you on this. We get it. I appreciate that. So Walking away from that now, the way I live my life now, I want to put that into a a book and and give it to somebody. Be like, don't you see? Don't you see? It's this easy. And the best way I could I've been able to describe it, and especially what I was doing wrong was it's like somebody giving me a gift and saying, here you go. Uh, actually, this happened. My church said, hey, go have a honeymoon. I, me and my wife didn't have money to have a honeymoon. They said, go to our nice local hotel, and here's a suite. And wow. so we show That's up. Very at generous the, of that it, church. It I was. Gotta, I got to change my membership. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we show up, and we didn't know what to expect. And they're like, "Oh, okay." And they decorated for us. They put all this stuff out there, and it was like the luxury presidential suite. Um, wow. And we walk in, and we're like, "Whoa, this is awesome! I've been so blessed. I've been given this free gift by by my church, and they love us." It's like me taking my credit card and going downstairs and being like, hey, I'd like to pay for this now. They're like, no, 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 no. It was already paid for. No, no, no. But yeah. I, I want to pay for it again. No, that's so good. And they're like, but sir, don't you understand? Like somebody who loves you already paid for this. Yes, but it's going to make me feel better if I pay for this myself. Don't you understand? Take my money. That's so good. I love it. I love that. So how do you, how do you apply that to something as common as, say, the battle against lust? How do you see that applying? The problem with my answer is that it's too simple. Mm-hmm. People want a one, two, three that involves a little bit more effort because it, they need, they feel like it needs to match the level of struggle. So if mm-hmm. the struggle is really hard, then that means the solution needs to be really hard. And if it was that simple, it would mean that I'm too incompetent. And you know, it, there's no way that this struggle has such an easy solution. But it does. It and, does. And I, I, I get it. So what's the solution? Give me the simplistic solution. Value. And I love that you've been saying the word so much. It's value and worth. And so if I actually have a right understanding of who Christ has called me to be and what he has said about me, 
There's well, no it's way even, that, it's not even who Christ has called you to be. It's who Christ sees you as presently. Yeah, even better. It's not even like this future tense version of who you are. Like Christ values you as long as you become this person. Like, no, it's not that. It's that right now, presently to Christ, you are that person. That's good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you're right. You're right, man. It's God sees me as this right now. And since God is not a liar, that means my situation must be lying to me. Yeah, there we go. Come on, now we're talking. And so I, I need to get my mind to understand the things of the Lord, but I understand that my mind has already been polluted with over 10 years of, of building a pornography addiction and over 20 years of being spoken to uh, in this way and me speaking to myself, uh, decreasing my own self-worth and value. And so I have to say, God, open up my mind just completely. You know you know what? No, it's not open up my mind. God, kill it. Kill yes. it. It, it's it, it, I love it. I love that because this is the exact language that the writers of the Bible describe this process of going about. It's not that you got to learn something. It's not this Gnostic approach to salvation that if you learn the truth, if you knew this doctrine or this secret knowledge, then you would be free from this. No, no, it's, it, it's literally nothing to do with belief, uh, nothing to do with uh, information. It's not like, oh, you find this hidden verse and then like, no, it's, it's none of that. It's literally like what has happened on the cross is so amazing is that Christ literally takes our sins on himself and then dies. Like this is what the Bible writers describe the cross, this transaction where Christ literally takes away your sin, bears it on his flesh and puts it to death. And then as he's resurrected, he leaves that sin in the grave. So that sin no longer has power. Sin no longer has dominion. Sin no longer has any other power more than a lie does. Because this is the lie, is that sin still reigns large. The lie is that sin still has power. The lie is that sin still has control over you and over me. And so our our fighting is against sin. And if I put on the face of faith and I try harder and believe harder and pray harder and work harder, then my fight against sin will be victorious. No, 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 no. We don't war against flesh and blood. Like it literally says that we're not warring against ourselves. It's the sin that we think that we're so controlled by is actually already defeated. I, I don't have to work towards victory over sin because the victory over sin has already been completed. So what I have to do is simply believe that when Jesus went to the grave, he took my sins with him and that sin is dead and has no power over me. I mean, Paul puts it this way, that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's, that's my body. My flesh is brought to nothing. My sin is brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Over and over and over, Paul talks about the freedom that we have in Christ. That sin is a defeated foe. It has no dominion, no power. We're set free from it. And so the only challenge that we need to have is, well, do I believe that? Because it sounds crazy. It sounds ludicrous in the middle of another failed episode where I promised God I wouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And then I find myself doing X, Y, and Z. It doesn't feel like that sin has no power. It feels like that sin is very powerful in that moment. Yeah. But then in that moment, I have a choice to believe or not. Right. Do I believe my senses? Do I believe my emotions? Do I believe my feeling? And then if by, by believing those things, do I feel condemned? And do I believe that? 
Or do I believe the truth as it's revealed in Jesus that this thing is a deception, has no power over me. It doesn't affect my value or my worth. And so rather than running away in shame, guilt, and condemnation, I arise like a new man and say, thank God that this thing is not who I am. And I rise in victory. Language is so important in describing this. And, and I think you're doing a beautiful job at putting the right words in there. And if you don't have the words crucified, dead, brought to nothing in your vocabulary about your old nature, then you're going to have a false idea about it. And so just read Romans five, six, seven, and eight, and you will yes. see the word dead, <laughs> dead, 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 dead. It's like all over the place. 20 some dies. That, that uh, season that I was telling you about where I was just in agony and anxiety, constant anxiety, it coincided with my... Uh, my marriage, my wedding date. <laughs> oh, so now okay. I'm a newly married man who uh -huh. knew this woman for 10 months, moved mm. her. I, I, and like the ridiculousness out of our situation was when we actually counted our contact time, because I kept flying her out from Minnesota. It was a long distance uh, relationship. We only had less than two weeks of contact time. Hey, I, I get it. I get it. My wife and I, we met speed dating and we were married 365 days after our first speed uh, date. <laughs> So you're not alone in this. Like, I get it. I get yes, it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. So 10 months after meeting this woman, I, the, the second day after I met her, I had a dream that I was kissing her feet and then I married her. I called her the mother of my unborn children on the third day of knowing her. So I, I had to, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm, I met her in September. I bought her. Apparently a, that worked. Or? It, it did. It was prophetic. So I mean, you're, you're a good looking dude. So I appreciate I, I think, it, man. I think you, you, you can handle that. I bought, I met her in September and I bought a wedding ring in November. I sold Every single worldly thing. I mean, I sold my Xbox, my soundboard. I saw I sold everything to buy a wedding ring, but I, I didn't actually. And I held on to it for like months uh, until I actually did it. So I, I was pretty sure. So I invite this woman into marriage with me, and I'm like, "Hey, yeah, everything's gonna be perfect." Until she realizes everything's not. Uh, mm. This is a it's a huge mess, and I'm trying to explain it to her. And guys, this is where I was going with language, 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 language. I'm trying to describe my struggle with my with my bride, who says I should be enough. Why? are you why are you even worried about anybody else blonde hair blue eye beautiful woman and i'm telling her you know i think it's because there it feels like i have all of this um i have like three dogs in a closet and i'm just like trying to get them to hush up and i'm like throwing them a bone to like be quiet but they just like are getting so hungry that they like keep you know ramming the door and now they're barking and that's why i'm going through this and that's yeah. the best language i could come up with as a 21 year old man i got married the day after i turned 21 so wow how did she respond to that i'm guessing she didn't take it well she laughed <laughs> <laughs> Just it. I, I will say this um, to give some hope. I have three children with her, and we are on our seventh year of marriage. We're having a really good time. Congratulations! But good she, for you. She did leave, and uh, it brought me to a place where I needed to fix it. And it, I only did because I brought another man into my life. Um, so, I mean, I always say that. I say this almost like on every other podcast episode, guys. If you're doing life alone. Please do yourself a favor and find another mature and, and, and encouraging man that's going to get alongside you and be a Barnabas and encourage you on your walk. And that's what we're trying to do here. Engage, empower, encourage. I had this idea in this language of I'm just trying to keep these things at bay. These these mm -mm. dogs are just hungry and they're there. Uh -uh. That's, and, a, that's a lie, man. Yeah. Yeah. Talk uh. to me about it. Your I mean, thoughts. it's not about taming the dog. Like you hear this par parable, right? Every man has two wolves inside him. And the one that you feed is the one that gets stronger. And it, like, it, no, like, no, <laughs> stop having two wolves. Stop being double-minded. Right. Go Ooh, ahead and good. let one of those, go ahead and kill one of those wolves. 
with with my friend group, we have like whenever because uh, we many of us have actually gone through this similar journey uh, at the, around the same time actually, and so when we're inviting someone who is is I don't know looking for something better or you know trying to reconnect with God or whatever language that they might use with it, at some point in the journey, the question is asked, okay, so are you ready to die? Because this is really like this literally is the introduction to the life of faith is the death to self. Like there's a reason why baptism was something that was so important to the early believers because it was a symbol, maybe even more than a symbol, maybe something actually metaphysically does happen in that moment of faith during baptism where you die and the new one is raised in its place where the old has passed and the new has come. All things are like all the former things are gone. Like there's something that happens in that moment. And the thing that happens is death. You in that moment are for the first time coming into realization or coming into agreement with the thing that has been decided from the beginning, from the foundations of the world, that there was a lamb who would be slain for it all, that that lamb would take your sins and die. And here's the crazy thing about this entire exchange is it already happened. It's not something that's going to happen. It already happened. And so here's the crazy thing about every single one of us that's living from the time after the cross. It's already decided. It's already done. And so every lie that I live under is exactly that. It's just a lie. Yeah. And so for the first time, I agree with the truth as it is in Jesus. And it's not even that like in that moment I die. No, like it's been dead the entire time. That sin has been dead the entire time. And I now believe it. And by believing it, the lie has been broken and sin no longer has its power. Justin, that's too simple, man. It sounds good, but that's just, <laughs> it's gotta be more than that. It's gotta it, be know, more. And I get it, man. It, I thought it, uh, it was so hard. Like, and so this was presented to me, uh, I don't know, three years ago. I spent like a little over a year and a half trying to wrestle with it and trying to study it out and like, no way it could be that because of all the other questions that I had. And I had a number of questions. And for me, the solution was if I have every answer to every objection that I might have about this idea, and if I could break it down in a way that I could just describe it to people and like present it in a sermon or a Bible study, or like for me, my idol was knowledge. Uh, my identity was largely built on this, this persona of a public teacher figure or something. Or the other. And yet when it came to the gospel, as I just described it to you, I didn't have the ability to not only understand it, much less explain it to someone. And because of that, I thought it couldn't be true. And yet the, the weird paradox was that I could never understand it until I believed it. And that once I believed it, it was so easy to explain because it actually became my experience. Like it actually started taking life in me and transforming me. And so it was not hard to describe it because I was living it now for the first time. I was no longer trying to describe a, a phenomenon to someone who's never seen it before, but I could actually embody it and share it with someone. And so the very thing that I thought I needed was actually the very lie that I needed to, to let die. Was wow. that namely that I, my value, my identity is built upon how much I know. Yeah. And if I don't know it, then how could it possibly be true? There's this perfect uh, picture, I think, of how it is that we engage with um, our battles currently. 
and it's in uh, Second Chronicles 20. King Jehoshaphat has a great army coming against him. And this army is, is coming from the West and, you know, they're planning on attacking. And his first action is, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And, you know, they, they do some corporate fasting and they're just seeking the Lord. And this man comes up and he says, thus says the Lord, you do not have to fight against uh, this army that's coming against you. Just go ahead. you're going to, here's what you're going to do. Here's your game plan. I'm going to tell you the most military, military thing that you can do. You're going to stand and worship. <laughs> You're going to stand and, and watch the Lord um, defeat the enemy on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of I mean, just th say th this is this, uh, this song that uh, it, on first listen, I'm like, this is so repetitive and stupid. And now I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. Right. I, I think you already know the song that I'm yeah. thinking about. This right? is how I find my 100%. bad. <laughs> you just say it a million times. <laughs> it may look like I'm surrounded, exactly. but I'm surrounded by it's, it's a posture of faith. It's literally like you don't do anything. You stand still and you let your eyes be open. That's why so many times it says to those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, it's like literally God open my reality to the reality that has always been. Always. Elisha and, and, and when he and his servant are on the mountain surrounded by an entire army, Elisha is not stressed out. His servant is freaking out. Like, what are we going to do? He's like, Hey, don't worry, man. God's going to fight for us. What are you talking about? It's just the two of us. How are we going to do this? We need a strategy. We need a solution. He's like, God, just open his eyes. And what's cool about it, it wasn't that like after that prayer, then it says fire or chariots of fire come down from heaven and then surround them. No, no. They were there the entire time. He just didn't see them. He didn't believe them. Yeah. And and this is the thing. It's that uh, that that the like we need to have eyes to see what has always been. Good. We just have to be able to open them. And and this is, I guess, if there's a prayer to be asking God for, it's this. Open my eyes, God. Help me to see this. And yeah. here's the crazy thing about the gospel. I don't know if you know this already, but I'll, I'll treat it as if you don't. Like, why do they call it the gospel? It's called good news. What's the context of this? The context of this in ancient days was that there would be two nations at war. And this is in a day and age where there's no internet. There's no, like, modern technology. Like, if you won a battle, people back home didn't know. Because you are still theoretically at battle. And so what would happen is two kings would send their armies to war against each other. And eventually one of them would win. What would often happen is that the winning or the victoring uh, army would send a messenger back home. This person who, who rides ahead of the army prepare, to help prepare the city for the return of the king. And this messenger would come back with a message for the city. Because assumingly the, the city is still cowering in fear. They're preparing. They're scared. They don't know the outcome. Are they going to win? Are they going to lose? Are they going to be able to live in prosperity and peace? Or are they going to be slaves? to the other kingdom, right? And so this messenger comes back and heralds the, the, the good news or literally the gospel. This messenger would carry the gospel from the army to the city and the city would be shared uh, this news that victory has already been won. The king is victorious and he's on his way back. Now, in that moment, the city had two options. Do we believe the good news the gospel that this messenger has shared with us, that victory has been won, even though we can't see it for ourselves, even though we don't see the king right now, even though we don't see the spoils of war and all the things that we get to enjoy, do we believe that or do we continue to live as though victory wasn't secured and live in fear and coward and in this scarcity mindset? Here's the crazy thing about that. Like, this is why the gospel writers called it the gospels because victory was already won on our behalf. If you're in the city, you literally don't have to do anything to, to, to secure the victory. The victory is already yours. You just have to believe it. 
And then if you believe it, it changes your internal status. It changes the way that you interact with people and changes the way that you do your life. Because if you don't believe that victory has been won, you're still looking out for yourself. You're hoarding all the toilet paper and you're making sure that everything's good. But if you believe that victory has been won, then you treat people differently. You're no longer on edge yeah. because you know that all my fears, they're gone. The, f the, the fear of being enslaved for the rest of my life, done. Because victory has been won because my king did it for me. And this is this is where I think the masculine heart has a problem because I've seen this in my own life. Again, United States Marine Corps, nine years. Let's go. Sepa Verdelis. Ura, I'm supposed to be a fighter, right? And yeah. so I, I see a problem or I see, you know, circumstance and I'm like, let's fight. Right. Yeah. We're and so the masculine soul is like so easy to get up and be like, cool, who do I need to take down? Let's go. I got this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The messenger's coming up. Like, it's been done. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We're going. Come on, guys. Let's go. You, then you get a gang of guys, which you call your small group, your men's group. You're like, let's go. We're going to go up against this uh, this pornography thing head on. It's like, no, no, no. Hey, dude, I said it's been done. It's been won. Right, 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 yeah. right. But here we go. You know, and that's just, that's like, the fault of a man. Here's here's a uh, one verse where it trips me up. It's uh James four. Submit yourself to God. Okay, resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As men, we pay attention to only one part of that verse. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's resist the devil. We only yeah, pay attention that to resist like the devil. I can do. Yeah. Exactly, it's active. It's it's masculine. It's saying, okay, resist the devil. What does that look like? Breastplate check sword check got it like and you so you have this spartan image of yourself you know you might have to tuck in your gut a little bit to fit it into your costume but like you're still gonna head to, <laughs> head to stick strong right when really if you pay attention what the to what the verse is saying it says submit therefore to god yeah period yeah so resist the devil and he will flee period draw near to god and he will draw near to you there's nothing sexy about those two verses that are that are sandwiching uh -huh. that resist the devil uh -huh. and he will flee right but in order to resist the devil and he will flee he flees because you are first submitted to god yeah submission being it. submission being this military term actually of being commissioned over somebody and so there's now a rank and a structure and this is so relevant to me because i was just i was enlisted before uh for eight years and then i i got my commission so now i'm a second lieutenant now i have more people underneath me those now there's a structure and an order and so now they are my um i'm their superior they are my subordinate that is the word uh for submission you put you commission the lord is commissioned ahead of you and you are submitted to him submit therefore to god but it's it's like too passive for us. I mean, I've been struck with this very fact that so much of the victory language uh, uh, when it comes to the Bible is passive language. Let this mind therefore be in you. Be still and know that I'm like over and over and over. Like I, I, I'm wanting to do this at some point to go back to all the old stories that I grew up with and try and pay attention to this fact. How often is what God commands the people to do a passive thing? And, and it's, it's really interesting because like like the whole the whole scriptures point to the same this common thread that victory has been won it's not something that we earn there's certainly a, a part that we can cooperate with but it's not something that we earn or do it's something that has been earned has been done and we just simply enter into it and let this mind be new like it's just like hey slow down and stop stressing out enough that you're still long enough for me to just 
give the thing to you. Like I, I picture like a kid who's running around the house freaking out because he's just got so much energy. And like I have a toy in my hand that I want to give to him, but he's running around so much that he hasn't even the time of day to like listen to what I'm having to say. Like I have some nephews in, in my family and some of these nephews uh, have a similar uh, challenge that I had growing up, which is like ADD, ADHD, the kinds of kids that you call their name and they're just like, I never heard you. Like, and you're yelling at them, like, stop and listen. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even hear you. Like, yeah. that's, that's us so often. God's just like, I have this thing for you. So just be still, let it, let it happen. Like literally just, what would it look like? If, like even in your, your devotional time or whatever you call that, instead of like, I am going to read 15 chapters today and I'm going to journal like all these things. Like, no, no. What if you just sat in the stillness and let God do whatever he wanted to do? Yeah. And what would it look like if you just sat there and said, all right, God, you've promised that when I enter into the secret place that you are there. And if I abide here, that you're going to do a work in me. Like, what would it look like for us to just carve out that time to be still? Yeah. To let God do something. And and the, the crazy thing is, I'll, I'll say for someone who's been on the other side of this thing, is that the more that I do that, or as I'm doing that, I'm seeing the fruit of the indwelling spirit be made manifest in my life more and more. And it's weird because it's not an active thing that I'm doing. I'm just sitting passively and letting God do it in me. That's tough for a young man. And I, I, I'll admit that that is one of my consistent areas of uh, con- that I have to be checked in. And my wife does a really good job at checking me here. I appreciate her uh, keeping me accountable in the way that it should be. A woman who's calling out the goodness in me and actually accounting for my abilities. She has to check me on that. Like a, a young man is more prone to being like, okay, I got to do, 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 do some more. And, and no, it's like, no, hey, be still, chill, calm down. Yeah. Getting into a pet peeve of mine. And I'm totally taking a, a chance here because you could probably have one of these. I, I don't like the shirts that say, not today, Satan. <laughs> I just don't. I, yeah. Do you have one? I had one at some point okay, in time. Okay, okay, okay. Here's it. But you're good. Keep going. <laughs> Here's why. If we're wearing this flag, right, a body flag that we're walking around with that says, not today, Satan, not today, Satan. Again, it goes back to the bravado thing. I'm like, I'm warring right now. Mm-hmm. Not today. Mm-hmm. Not on my yeah. watch. I really want to represent... Uh, the opposite of it. And sometimes we think that because we're saying the opposite of something, we're saying the same thing. Like, you know, it's, it's not, that's not the case. And I want to wear a shirt and I haven't made, I made one. I actually went to the mall and had it made that said today, God, just today, God, just because I want to be able to consistently go back to the idea that I'm just resting on you, Lord. And it's like, yeah, today, God, Hey, it's just like my focus, my attention and my stillness is all driven towards you. Not this energy, negative energy. That's more towards the not today. Satan. Why are we even worried about what Satan's doing? Good. Like, when do you ever pay attention to the last seed, you know, in, 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 in a competition? It's like, if I'm the champion, like, why am I even worried about that? <laughs> Much less like if I've already won the championship, like, why am I worried about, like, makes no sense. So like, he's a defeated foe. And every time that he, he's, he's like, like, dude, I know that the Bible describes Satan like a lion. Uh, he's more like a chihuahua. Yeah. Is this you like know? a lion? Like. Yeah. Not, not as. A, uh, it doesn't say as a lion. You're yeah, right. I mean, Go. he's like this like pesky little annoying thing that barks a lot, thinks he's a lot bigger than he is. But the reality is, is once you know, you know that he's a defeated foe. This guy's got no power, no authority. All power and all authority has been given to Christ, who then, then gives that all power and all authority to us. So like, there's no need to even consider what he's doing. If our mind is towards following the lamb wherever he goes, then like you're good. 
Yeah. Like, honestly, like it's, it's that simple. You're good. And so much to the extent that like when life happens, man, like I'm not stressed about it. Like this coronavirus happens and like, maybe this is a privileged thing to say. And maybe it's also that faith puts you in this privileged position where you realize that this world is not all that there is. And there's, there's nothing like, there's nothing that I need to fear because God's got my back. Yeah. Like when this is all happening, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried about what's happening in the world. I lost like six months worth of work in a moment when all the bans happened with the coronavirus. Ooh. I'm already not making a ton of money as, as things are, as you might imagine as a kind of self-supported, uh, content creator type. Right. But even with losing six months worth of work, I'm like, I wasn't stressed in the moment. Why would I? My God is good. And anything he, he sees fit to put in my path. Thank you. Great. Like I, I know what it's like. I, I think about Paul. I know what it's like to, to, to have much and to not have much. I know what it's like to be in times of plenty and not like Paul's writing Philippians four from my best understanding from a prison cell. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like it's in this moment, he says, I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not that like you could literally do anything like I could fly through the air if I wanted to or whatever. His his statement was like, I know what it's like to be, to be content. So I can do any season of life. I can be content in any season, whether it's coronavirus season or it's like, I just got uh, my holiday raise or what fill in the blank, you know? And Paul spoke from experience, much more experience than I could speak through. Right. Like the dude was beat. Multiple times, he was literally stoned and shipwrecked and persecuted. And yet, he says, I know how to be content in all seasons. Because at the end of the day, he just, he knew who he was. He knew his identity. He knew that victory was secure in Christ. And that anything that would attack him was just, it was just noise from the enemy. He brings it up in, uh, right from the beginning of his letter, actually, to the to Ephesus. Mm-hmm. In Ephesians 1, 7, this is a verse that I'm trying to commit to memory right now. Cause it's so powerful and transformational. I mean, and it's something to hold on to as you're, you know, getting swallowed up by the circumstances of the world. And maybe, you know, for young men listening for whatever temptation, whatever thing is coming against you, this is in him. This is what Paul was writing in him, Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And yeah. over and over and over again, Paul is pointing to riches, riches, riches in all of Ephesians. You know, he uses terms like inheritance. This is going to be your uh, down payment. You know, he uses all these financial terms trying to provoke you to understand like there is a richness that is way greater than what you could probably be experiencing. You know, even if you were a millionaire yeah. and I'm experiencing it in a jail cell yep. and it's yep. it's this. And, and if there's anything that I can tell you from a jail cell and, and the fact that I'm sitting here bound uh, and in chains is I just want to remind you, by the way, we have and redemption through his blood. <laughs> yeah, we have redemption <laughs> through his blood and we have forgiveness of our sins through God's riches. I'm rich. I'm seated in heavenly places oh, and you so are good. too. If you want to walk around life hobbling in pain because you're broken leg for the rest of your life, like, hey, like, okay, cool. I mean, you got the freedom to do that. Or, or you could maybe put this crutch on for a season and let the healer heal your leg and then walk and run and leap and be free. And, and that's the, that's the difference, man. It's that it's not just like this self-help thing. It's not just this clever psychological way of dealing with your guilt, shame, and trauma. It's, it's literally freedom. It's that you can actually go into this thing one way and come out a different way. 
that the way that you've done life and the way that you've been bound by fill in the blank. For me, it was pride. It was ego. For me, it was oftentimes this addiction to lust. Like you're not alone in that one as well. But there's a way to go into it with all these things and to be still in the presence of God and to allow him to do his work in his time and to come out on the other side of this thing healed and free. Like the, the, the freedom and the healing that Jesus offered people in his days is still what he offers us today. I want to, I think, take a quick moment and, uh, and address one area that is pretty uh, foundational in, in this, um, you know, healing and, and coming to this understanding. Number one, if you're not getting it, don't beat yourself up. That's not the mm-hmm. point. Yeah, it, like yeah. and you're being sanctified, right? You're moving from from glory to glory. And so if you feel like you have been battling this for a year already and there's no movement, like what the heck's wrong with me? Please do yourself a favor and stop because I've been there, buddy. I know exactly what that's like, except for mine was 5 years. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking, why am I going through this five years later? I'm now having to raise sons and I can't even figure this stuff out. So I do want to say grace, my friends, grace. And mm-hmm. then uh, I want to point to this and Justin, I want to get your uh, thoughts on this before I let you go. When it comes to transformation and becoming, mm-hmm. the work has been done. You have said mm-hmm. this a lot. You have said it's been done from the foundations uh, 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 of the world. My 10 year addiction to pornography which God took away in a snap of a second, took mm-hmm. me a little bit longer to come to understanding when he removed it from my life. And so yeah. this, this, these uh, thoughts and ideas that I took a decade in building did not leave me immediately. Yeah. And it, there was and, and a you, progress. you're making a very important distinction there that you were free in a moment, in, in an yes. instance of belief. And yet there were still some habits that you have to unlearn. There's a there's neurochemical pathways that exist. And we're not denying the fact of that. Yeah. But what we are saying is that victory is yours already today. Boom. And you're free from it today. Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just want, like I'm pointing out what you're you're saying and you're saying it well. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, And I just... I feel like this is an area where my, actually my wife has been the one that's pointed to this always. She's, she hears my ideas and here's what I want to do on YouTube or, or, or podcast. And she's like, okay, but remember you remind the guys that if they're still going through the process, it's not that they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just that Amazon is not delivering your transformation. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen next day. It's not going to be a, kind of like an Amazon prime type of thing. And yes, God works in the, you know, you, we read this in the Bible. It says, and suddenly God doesn't take, uh, two years to work. He works in the end. Suddenly it might've been two years until you feel it, but it's like, he works in the immediate, right? Yeah. Again, I just want to say, gentlemen, if you are not yet feeling the freedom that we have described in this entire conversation, if you are not yet buying into uh, the idea or I mean, not the idea, it's the truth of the Bible that you have been dead, 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 dead to sin. You are not putting dogs away in a closet and shoving them back there. You are not fighting against your flesh. You have been risen with Christ seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Lord. If you are not there yet, it's okay. You are becoming. Yeah. And, he, and and here's the good news is that your victory is not predicated on your feelings. Like you don't have to feel better about it before you like experience it. That's not how that works. Like this is why it's called the fight of faith. It's this continual and obstinate like posture of faith. What he says is true. What he says is done. 
And so I believe that even though my circumstance might not be the way that I want them to be, even though I might not feel the way that I want to feel like feelings are good. Like you can feel any certain way, but that's not the ultimate arbitrator of what is in fact reality. Cause there's, a, I mean, we understand this. We can feel a lot of ways and those feelings are just like, well, why are you feeling that way? Like you got no justification for that. And it's easy to see that in other people, but it's much harder to see that in ourselves. And so here's the thing is like, you cool. You feel a certain way, but that has no bearing on the truth of what it is. Come back to this word. This word is not, is, is faithful. It'll accomplish exactly what it says. And so when it says you're free, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And you gird yourself with that truth and you renew your mind according to the truth as it is in Jesus. And as you do that, he gives you the grace. He gives you the power to walk it out. Justin, I want people to keep connected with you. Can you please uh, let our listeners know where to find you, where to find what you're doing and how to connect with you? Easiest way to get a hold of me and everything else that I do uh, is my website, justinku.com. That's K-H-O-E, like shoe with a K. Uh, justinku.com. I have a handful of different shows. I'm listening is available on YouTube. Just search. I'm listening with Justin Koo. I have a second show where we do uh, more Christian content, Bible study esque content called the move. And I do that with a friend of mine named Jonathan Leonardo. Um, and so if you're interested in the Bible type of discussion, head over to the move. If you want to see the conversations I'm having with all kinds of different people, I'm listening is a way to do that. And of course I'm on Instagram on Facebook, on Twitter, at Koo. if you want to hang out. Gentlemen, you heard it here. Sitting down with Justin Koo, a young man who's just pursuing the things that God has put on his heart, and he's doing it well. Gentlemen, I, I want to invite you to go ahead and click on any of the links that I'm going to put down below in the description. Uh, head over there and just, just connect with him. This is a, an amazing ministry that he's got going, and he's really doing it from a place of passion and a place of, of obedience. And uh, guys, I want to be obedient to the spirit today. And I want you to know that if you are going through this, you are not alone. You are not the only one. Just like Justin was saying, there are, a, I mean, it's probably the, the most kept secret in the church that you uh, men in general are going through this and we kind of just hide and we, and we tell ourselves that we'll never tell anybody. We can't let anybody know how bad we're doing. But guys, I want to hear from you. I want to connect with you. We want to engage men like you where you are in life, anywhere where you are in your struggle. And I mean, where you are in finances, where you are in marriage and singleness, we want to empower you with biblical truth and encourage you on your walk with Christ. And if you haven't connected us with us already, head over to www.madetoreign.org. There you'll be able to find our videos, our podcasts, and other resources that are going to help you on your walk with Jesus. Until next time, continue to march. Thank you.